about to get up here and say, well, I'm not an expert, which I'm not. Um, and I've actually, I think quite a few of us have got up on this topic and said that. But I have worked for a while in mental health. Um, and actually, this was a really great opportunity to put some of that into practice. But actually, it's, it's, it's just taught me a lot as well. I mean, I've loved this series. Um, and I just think there's so much we can apply to our lives. So I hope that from this, there'll be lots that you feel that you can apply to yours from the end of this. Um, right. So Dan's already run through what we've been covering so far, and we're on emotional beings today. So we're going to start by looking at God as a source of our emotion and how he has made us as emotional beings. We are made in the image of God, and that's something we're just going to explore a bit, and how God feels emotion. And that's really evident when we look in the Bible. We're going to have a little look at this myth that there are good and bad emotions. I think in the West, we tend to put the negative ones, the negative emotions, in that bad box. And, you know, the happy ones, like happiness and joy and that, in the good box. But things are not that black and white. We're going to go deeper into three specific emotions. This is a vast topic, and I'm barely skimming the surface of it. But I thought it would be helpful to look at three in a bit more detail. And I've deliberately chosen sadness and anger as perhaps those we might think are the negative ones, and happiness as we might think as a positive and more sort of uplifting. And hopefully, through looking at these in a bit more depth, we're going to be able to apply some things to our lives as well. So that's a brief overview. Let's start with this. God created man in his image. So um, God created us as man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here we are. God has created us in his image. This is quite a difficult thing to actually get your head around. There's so much in that sentence. And we tend to not, some of us don't have a particularly high opinion of ourselves, but we are created in his image as human beings. God feels emotion. It's throughout the Bible. Let's have a little look. So, God and sadness. We see that here in Genesis 6.6. God felt such sadness, so grieved was he. This is just before the flood that he sent, when Noah was asked to, to rescue a large proportion of all the animals. And this is where God was so grieved because the world was so evil Something he created was just turning so, so sour. So God feels sadness. God feels love, of course. There are so many verses in the Bible where we can see this. I've picked out probably one of the most famous ones. But he sent his only son. You can't get more than that, can you? God takes delight in us. He feels joy. And this is a really interesting emotion. And we're going to just touch briefly on this as well, because 
it's possible to feel joy in the midst of much sadness. And I think we've spoken about this before in church as well. Joy is about that hope of something that we are looking forward to that's everlasting. It's not just about the here and now. We have a righteous God, but a God who expresses his wrath every day. It's quite sobering. We do have a God who feels anger. And we can see that with Jesus as well, particularly in the temple where he was so outraged that they were making it into a, a place where they were selling things. And, and it wasn't that. It was a place for worshipping his father. So he threw the tables in such disgust. He was so cross with them. Now, anger, that can galvanize us to do things. We often think of it, though, quite negatively, but it can give us an energy to put things right at times, and we'll go into more detail with that. We have a jealous God as well, a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is, this is a bit where, in the Bible, people were making idols, worshipping other gods. Our God doesn't want that. He wants all of us. He wants all our love. And then, finally, God feels peace as well. There are other emotions, but these are the ones I've chosen to focus on here. So I've looked at, you know, here where God had finished all his work and he rested on that seventh day. But God blesses us with that peace as well. And we can rest in his presence. So, if God feels all these emotions, then emotions at their core must be good. They must be something to be understood and embraced. If we're created in the image of God and God feels emotions, he must have wired emotions into what it means to be human. God must be the very source of these emotions if he feels them. Now, Dan lent me a really good book, which I've pulled on a lot for this, Why Emotions Matter. It's a great book. I'd recommend reading it if you're interested in this topic. And they talk about emotions being a bit like a dashboard in a car. So you imagine a dashboard. The lights will show up on the dashboard, and they'll show you what's going on underneath the bonnet. Well, our emotions, the book talks about, being very similar to what's going on inside us. They're signals as to what's going on in our bodies and in our minds. Now, there's lots of information that we're getting all the time. Our central nervous systems are just, just picking up so much sensory information, millions and millions like per second. We're not aware of half of it. In fact, if we were, it would be a big problem because we wouldn't be able to function. We'd be so overwhelmed by it all. If you look at people who are neurodiverse, quite often they will be able to pick up on a lot more things than perhaps the average Joe Bloggs. We would find, um, like for example, Chris Packham, if you, you know him, when he goes into a wood, he will hear so much that's going on in that wood. It would be a cacophony of noise to him. Most of us would drown that out. But actually, this shows that our central nervous systems are taking in information all the time, but a lot of us can drown a lot of that out. 
there's all sorts around something called polyvagal theory, which I won't go into, but it's a really interesting topic as well. It looks at how we can get into different states, that fight or flight, or that need to kind of be perhaps that just to just hide and freeze because we just are so scared and can't do anything. But actually, it's possible to get back to that vagal state, the state where we are content again. All these things, though, they have a purpose. They're not there just willy-nilly. You know, they're created for survival. Just sometimes it goes a bit awry. We are much more complex than the car dashboard. And interpreting these signals in our bodies is sometimes quite difficult. It requires a lot more of a nuanced interpretation. So this idea that emotions are good or bad, we have this sort of view which we kind of teach our children, which is not always very helpful, about it's not good maybe for boys to, to be seen to be crying or you know, they've got to be brave and you don't want to be afraid. And sometimes these things, we do it just subconsciously, don't even realize, but it's so ingrained in our culture that we sort of take it on board. Actually, all of our emotions, if we see that God is, gets angry, God is jealous, God is, is loving and, and peaceful, and we see all of this in God, then surely there is a righteous way to feel all of these things too. Here's a question which I don't know the answer to, but it's one to ponder. With a renewed earth, Will, there be, will we be free from uncomfortable emotions? We know it will be free from death and sin, but we're going to still be human. So the, presumably there will be adventures and challenges and things to discover and maybe difficult situations to overcome. We know that God is righteous and perfect, so will we experience the same emotions in the way that he does? Could this include anger, jealousy, and sadness? I'll leave that one with you to ponder. I don't have an answer. Okay. It's good to think about some of these perhaps negative emotions. Neuroscience shows that actually some of these negative emotions can give us improved lives, better judgment, improved relationships, more motivation, and a better memory. We're going to come back to this verse at the end, but these verses at the end, but Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, there is a time for everything. So a time to sit in pain and a time for anger, perhaps, to galvanize us into action. Let's focus on these three emotions we talked about at the beginning. Sadness. It's the emotional equivalent of pain. When you hurt your leg, when you physically injure yourself, you feel pain. At least most of us do. But we feel emotional pain when we have a loss in our lives. And it's a signal that something needs to heal. 
you might feel it physically as well. You might feel a pain in your chest or your heart. That's quite common. The losses that can happen may be small or large. They can accumulate over time. And sometimes it's not always obvious what's caused the sadness. One loss, maybe seemingly quite small, might trigger memories of other losses. It takes time for our bodies to heal from physical injury. And it takes time for our bodies to heal from emotional pain as well. For this reason, this emotion can often be quite prolonged. And it's not always a nice place to be. It can feel pretty horrible. But powering through it, trying to distract yourself, won't make it go away. It's really important to mourn what you've lost. Pull back and slow down. When we feel sadness, it's a real cue to reflect and identify what we've lost. Sadness can deepen the intimacy in our relationships and sharing tears can strengthen bonds with one another. Again, clinical studies show that people experiencing sadness have improved attention to detail, clearer memory and are less biased. They're also better at reading people's thoughts and emotions. It's almost as if the brain is appearing to shift all that energy from the physical to the mental. Fascinating. So, looking through a biblical lens at this, sadness. God draws near us when we're in pain. Psalm 34, 18. God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We see with Jesus, he wept tears of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. If we align our lives with Christ, then it won't protect us from sadness. We will feel that too. But we can still experience joy. Joy is not the absence of sadness. We can be unbearably sad in the present at what is happening, but so joyously aware that God has the victory. So, we want to avoid covering sadness up. It's not going to help. It'll still be there. We don't really want to minimise it, the sadness of others. So again, it may not be a comfortable place for us to be and feel it, but also we can feel a bit uncomfortable when other people are sad around us. But it's really important not to minimise it. Sometimes you just need to be alongside people. You may not be able to do anything about it for them. And they may not be expecting that either, but they may just want someone to be there, to be a comfort. Be present and just bear witness to the pain. It's important to be aware of falling into long-term sadness. Our brains are so made that we develop these neural pathways and they're formed over time and they can become quite entrenched. And sometimes grief can become the norm. In fact, it can almost, in a perverse way, feel quite comfortable because it's familiar. We need to just be aware of that. 
sadness tends to ebb and flow, unlike depression. And I want to make this quite clear that we're not talking about depression here, a clinical depression. That can feel much darker, that you don't want to get out of bed. You may not want to live. That's another thing altogether. That needs treatment. It may need a counsellor or a doctor or both. But it's important to recognise that too. So don't cover it up, but allow yourself to be sad. Reject the urge to push it away and cry if you can. Whether that's in the toilets, at work, wherever you be, it's good to let it out. Again, one of those other things that we can do as well is that we can think that perhaps we don't want to burden other people with it. But actually, that's not biblical. That's a cultural thing. God's a relational being. So we need to reach out to others. Identify your loss. Consider if there are multiple losses, perhaps. If you've lost a person... What did that person mean to you? What role did they fill? And identify your needs as well. Do you need space to heal? Time off from work or activities? Perhaps you need to take up some exercise. See a counsellor, a mentor, maybe someone who's specifically trained in grief or trauma. But really important to take time to heal. And... Finally, have a heart of gratitude, which might sound a bit odd, but again we've said about joy and sadness coexisting. Even as you work through your sadness, you can thank God for what he's done for you and given you. Okay, anger. This is that surge of aggression we feel when our expectations have not been met. I mean, it could be set off by something like you're driving to work, you've got, you set off nice and early, you think, great, got to get there, good time. Unexpected road work, show up, and that's it. Your day's ruined. It might be, this is my pet hate, seeing somebody drop litter. I can't stand that. It makes me really, you can see it in me already, I'm tensing. I don't like that. And in fact, I have been known to go up to people and go, excuse me, this is yours. It might be short-term things, or it might be long-term things. It may be that perhaps you haven't got the job promotion that you really wanted, and that's going to have a knock-on effect in your life. Or you've been gazumped by people buying the house that you'd offered on, all these things. It's a very powerful feeling. It's a feeling that you're right and someone else or something else is wrong. Anger comes from a deep sense of right or wrong, and it signals to us our moral code. It can vary greatly from person to person. So what makes you angry won't necessarily make me angry, and vice versa. But our personal codes are really biased towards our own protection. And so that means that they can either break or mend or grow relationships, depending on how we deal with our anger. Unlike sadness, anger is a real fast-acting emotion, and it's often felt in a flash. 
we can dwell on it, and we'll go into that in a bit. More often than not, it's something that comes on quite quickly. But anger can bring us the energy to fight for what we love. Now, confrontation isn't easy for a lot of us. I find this particularly difficult. And I will just quickly tell you a little story. Um, when I was working at Frimley Park Hospital, I'd been an OT for a couple of years. I saw a lady in the morning who was struggling with her mobility. I wrote up my notes, and um, that, was, that was that. And we sort of made some recommendations. I was going to come back and see her the next day. And when I went back, I saw that the doctor had written something in there to completely contradict what I had said and even crossed out some of what I'd put. I mean, that contravened all sorts of law rules and things anyway, but I was incensed. I was absolutely incensed. Now, my line manager at the time said, well, you can't just let this go. You need to, to talk to him about it. Oh, yeah, I suppose I do. Yeah, I can't just seize about it. Yes, I probably do need to go and talk to him. I was nervous about doing that. I still kind of put the doctors up there on a bit of a pedestal. So I did confront him. And he apologised. I felt that anger ebb away. It did galvanise me to do something. It galvanised me to, to take action. And also to think about my own responsibility in that as well. So anger can reveal our true values. And this way it acts a bit like a mirror. You might, I mean, this is a trivial thing, but you might feel that you value a minimal lifestyle. But then you get really annoyed when your partner throws out some of your items in a tidy up. And then you realize that actually you value material possessions more than you thought. So, what does scripture say? This can be a bit confusing because we're told to be slow to anger, quick to love. And also not to let the sun go down while we're still angry. Well, this is about anger not in itself being sinful. We've already talked about God feeling anger. But we do need to use it wisely for the purpose of love. The scripture where we talk about the sun not going down while you're angry, it doesn't have to literally mean you've got to deal with it that day. But the not stewing on it is really important. If we are angry at others, forgiveness is essential. Not that that's going to make what happened okay. It doesn't. It doesn't condone the behavior. But it is a decision to put the judgment with God. And that brings us freedom. Stewing on anger can lead to bitterness and a need to get back at that person. I've felt that before. You might just be a bit sarcastic. You might withhold affection. You might punish someone by belittling them or undermining them. We are not meant to be the judges. Taking on that role of judge can hold us back. Hold us back from emotional health and growth. Anger can be a bit like a mask. It can be such a powerful emotion that it's easier to be angry than afraid or angry than sad. In fact, the other way around, Temple Grandin, who herself is a neurodiverse lady, American older lady, she identified when she was younger 
that it was actually easier, even if she was angry, to cry because that was more accepted as a woman and people were more favourable towards her if she cried than if she got angry. Blame is that automatic response when we feel anger. But refraining from blame doesn't mean that we're going to become a doormat. It's about thinking about that perhaps the whole responsibility doesn't lie with somebody else, that we need to take some of that too, that we can be a bit more reflective. Don't let your anger bottle up. It might cause you to act violently, aggressively, verbally or physically. And that is a difficult pattern to get out of. Professional help may be needed if you find that you're in that rut. If you find that you're automatically getting aggressive over small things, you might need to figure out what is fueling that aggression and how to create that behaviour change. So, assess your anger. Maybe think about it on a scale of 1 to 10. Is it sort of fairly minor, 1 to 3? Or kind of right at the end, you're livid. Now this takes time and it's hard in the moment because actually all your frontal brain shuts down. When you're in that <coughs> period, you just, rational thought goes. So this is hard and it takes practice. Allow yourself to cool down. You may need to get out of there and somewhere where you can just breathe. It might be if the anger's relatively minor that just breathing will help. You might need to do something physical if it's a bit more higher up the scale. You might need to get a pillow and punch it or hit the ground or something physical. You might need to stretch your muscles. You're not ignoring the emotion, but you're making a choice not to act on it in that moment. Putting yourself in another person's shoes and reflecting as well. Consider your role in the situation. What ideas do you have to fix the problem or compromise? And what would you like to ask the other person to do? And problem solving. Again, this is likely to involve confrontation. With children, it's, um, it's recommended that you say, say what you see, say what you feel, and then state what you expect. But actually, this could work with adults as well. I see that the bin hasn't been emptied. I feel angry because I asked for this to be done two hours ago. I'd like you to empty the bin and put the rubbish outside, please. Something like that. Our third emotion and the final one that we're going to look at today, happiness. A feeling of fulfilment and enjoyment that is in the moment. That in the moment bit is quite key here. It's a signal that our desires are being met. Happiness gets our attention, invites us to be present in the moment. And it's a really good way to balance all the negative emotions that we feel and help cope with some of those more uncomfortable worries. And have you noticed that happiness is contagious as well? If you're around happy people, it buoys you up. It often sparks happiness in others. So happiness is wonderful, and we can want to be there all the time. But that's not possible. Happiness comes and goes, 
And if we're going to feel the intensity of these happy emotions and other positive emotions, then we are going to feel the intensity of the ones that are harder and more difficult as well. Happiness can be something we chase, and often we're not very good at working out what makes us happy. In Chinese philosophy, happiness is called a dangerous emotion. Partly, I think, because we can really seek it. If we would seek that happiness, regardless of what else is going on in our lives, and that stops us acknowledging other emotions, and that can lead to ill health and imbalance. We're chasing after things that may not be very good for us even in the first place. Today's culture, getting what we want when we want it, is that instant gratification. But it's based on what we think will make us happy in the moment. And we can also feel afraid if we think we're going to lose that happiness. We might be so worried about that that actually we're not enjoying the moment. So what should we do? Become puritanical and devote ourselves to solemn prayer and banish all merriment? No, of course not. God has filled our world with beauty and adventure, so we are to seek something better than happiness. Now, we've had a few quotes by C.S. Lewis, so um, why not have another? Um, this book here, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So if happiness is our end goal, that's far too small. Instead, we need to seek God's wisdom. That will lead to something far better. That leads to everlasting joy. And Jesus has made it possible for us to take part in that. We will be restored to living with God as we should, living according to his wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Happy are those who seek wisdom, who find wisdom, and those who get understanding. So notice happiness, those moments. Be mindful about them. Mindfulness, it's a big buzzword, but basically means being present in the moment. Be aware of your thoughts, aware of your breathing, aware of the bird sound, aware of God's creation around you, the wind on your face, the sun, the rain on your skin. Again, gratitude, say thank you. This can help lift you out of that worry of happiness ending. Choose to be grateful instead of shutting down and pursue wisdom over happiness. The books of Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are the books that are great to find lots of wisdom. They show us how to view the world with a wise lens. So, just coming into land now. Um, just know that despite whatever we've been talking about today, here, you are valuable as you are. And getting to know your emotional health and change that won't, won't change how valuable you are to God. But it will improve your well-being. And having a healthy relationship with our emotions means that by recognizing them, 
listening to them, identifying those signals, it will help us move forward in our relationships with others and with God. Not to suppress our emotions, to open up to others. That will help build intimacy. Recognise that they are part of how we are made. And they are also part of the God that made us. I'm going to leave you with Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, because I think that sums it up really well. Thank you.